welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to the Religious Studies Project once again. I'm David Robertson. And I think I'm Christopher Carter. And we are counting down the last few weeks before our summer break now. It's, uh, it's exciting. I'm rubbing my hands with glue as we speak. <laughs> uh, this week, however... We have a very interesting interview for you, with, um, which was recorded for us by our good friend Hannah Lettinen, um, a long-term uh, member of the team here at the Religious Studies Project. And it's an interview with uh, Miriam Mensej on witchcraft in rural Slovenia. So, uh, very interesting, and I'm going to pass over to Hannah. So, uh, welcome to Religious Studies Project. My name is Hanna Lehtinen and we are currently in Turku. It's early morning and it's relatively cloudy. And with me is Miriam Mensei um, from the University of Ljubljana, Slovenia. Um, And she is the Professor of Folklore Studies at the Department of Ethnology and Cultural Anthropology there. And her accomplishments include, but are not limited to, numerous articles and six published monographs on various topics related to vernacular religion, folklore and witchcraft, which is what we will be discussing here today. Um, Professor Mente's uh, latest volume that will be out later this year is called Styrian Witches in European Perspective, and it's based on her ethnographical work in the rural areas of eastern Slovenia, and it deals with witchcraft from a variety of, of angles. Um, so welcome, Miriam, and it's great to have you here today. Morning. Thank you for inviting me. So uh, we might just begin with with witchcraft. As we saw yesterday, the lecture was a huge success. Um, so witchcraft probably brings up lots of different images and ideas um, of what are we exactly dealing with? But uh, how would you define witchcraft in in your in the context of your own work? Okay. Yeah. Well, first let me answer the first part of your question. Yeah. Indeed, witchcraft nowadays appears in many guises. Uh, it has become a commodity, really. Witches flood the movies, the internet, the journals, the books, even cookbooks. Uh, women dress up as witches to partake at Halloween, uh, Halloween parties. And actually it has become a trademark of radical feminism, etc. But all this witchcraft has nothing to do really what uh, traditional witchcraft is about. And, um, which I actually researched, uh, in this Tyrian area of Slovenia and gave lectures, lect- uh, the lecture on yesterday. Uh, Traditional witchcraft was typically set in more or less small-scale, close-knit, face-to-face agriculture communities. And witchcraft, in fact, served as an explanation of misfortune, uh, interpreting the source of personal misfortunes as a consequence of others' malevolent agency. So the basic premise in witchcraft is actually that the origin of misfortune is social. And the person responsible for misfortune is understood to be the witch. Now, when misfortune occurred, people usually seek culprits amongst their close neighbors or in their immediate um, vicinity, in in their immediate environment, and especially close neighbors were particularly feared in this regard in most ethnographic areas. Sometimes also foreigners feature as witchcraft, but this is much less typical than the neighbors, particularly close neighbors. And it was basically their envy that was particularly feared. And actually they represented a constant threat of possible misfortune. Yeah. Um, And um, how did you end up studying witchcraft, actually? Huh. This was more or less 
by accident. I mean, in summer <laughs> 2000, yeah, uh, I arrived with a group of my students to a secluded rural region in Slovenian Styria. I mean, Styria is a wider region, really. This was a part of Styrian region. And um, our aim was to conduct fieldwork in order to help the local institution's mission to um, promote the local heritage, really. So what I hoped for were basically etiological legends related to some features of landscape, or some buildings in the region, etc. Yeah, knowing that these kind of legends tend to be rarer than the so-called belief narratives, belief legends, I also instructed my students to ask about witchcraft and the dead and supernatural in general. Uh, now, when the groups met in the evening to share the results after the first day of fieldwork and also all the following evenings, one thing became clear. Uh, that is, that the, the topic in the region was actually witchcraft. And so after that, we just continued to focus on witchcraft. And uh, yeah, actually really encountered plenty of people who still believed in witchcraft and some even still practiced witchcraft, although we never witnessed any of the practices. But obviously, some people still buried bones or eggs to their neighbor's property in order to do them harm. And some people even still understood witchcraft as an, an institution. Actually, they, they relied on witchcraft as an institution explaining the misfortunes that we found them. Exactly. And this area uh, where you were conducting the study, could mm. you describe it a little bit? So it's a very yeah. remote Yeah, actually area. this is a very remote area with poor traffic connections. The farms are small, the land divided into small parcels, and the people mainly engage in subsistence agriculture. Uh, our interlocutors were actually mainly old people because mostly older people still live there. Younger generation just moved into the cities um, or, yeah, usually migrate somewhere. Um, and in fact, this is, this is the region that is in the frame, in the frames of Slovenia is still a synonym for backwardness and remoteness and po poverty, really. But this, the region where we were doing fieldwork, fieldwork was even more impoverished until the 70s. The 70s brought some changes into the life of the population. For instance, um, electricity and water supply became available to more houses, households than before. Many houses were rebuilt. Free medical care became available even to farmers. And several factories and tourism facilities were established at the periphery of the region. And this actually gave some, offered some job opportunities to people living in the region, which consequently triggered daily migrations of part of the population and also the improvement of the roads and traffic facilities. And better roads also allowed for the use of tractors, which improved agricultural yields, etc. Uh, this was also the time when the television started to make its way into rural households. And all these changes consequently triggered the loosening of the bonds of the close village communities uh, and actually changed the social life in the villages. Now, in our area, the key setting for the communication of witchcraft narratives um, and also the basic context in which, within which um, these narratives were narrated and evaluated was always shared work. You know, the time when people gather together in this or that house to shell beans or uh, pluck feathers, uh, husk corn and do similar works. And with these economic changes um, and other changes like television, etc. Uh, this this basic key setting um, was over. You know, there was no such thing as a common work in the evenings, and uh, this consequently um, actually uh, caused the witchcraft discourse to start 
losing its adherence and common uh, communal support. So people did not have this framework anymore in, within which they could discuss witchcraft. I mean, they obviously still managed to find ways to, to tell narratives about witchcraft um, and even to practice some sort of magical practices, but this basic settings, setting was over and they could not talk publicly about it as they used to uh, do before, right? So it wasn't quite as accepted anymore, perhaps, as an explanation? Not generally accepted, exactly. really. Yeah. You, you, they definitely were still, still able to talk about it within the family circles or with you know, some, some of the neighbors that believed, still believed in witchcraft, but it was not, you know, they, 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 it was not an overt practice to, to discuss it anymore. Um, so when you were, you said that witchcraft sort of stroke you when you were doing the field work as, mm -hmm. as something really to focus on, um, so did people talk about it very openly? Or was there some reservation to? You know, generally people, uh, yes, generally they had no no problems talking about witchcraft overtly. Although some did use, uh, some did try to to uh, to to somehow hide their belief uh, from me or the students at least at the beginning of the interview. You know, they would usually start, not usually, but they, they would often start they, they're talking about witchcraft like, you know, no, I never heard about witchcraft, I don't believe in witchcraft and similar. But then after a while, they would just tell you, you know, a great story about <laughs> their own involvement of in witchcraft or their discovery of bewitching item or th their visit of a fortune teller who acted as an unwitcher in the region and so on. So, you know, like Jean-Fabri Sada, who wrote a fascinating book on French witchcraft, uh, understands this as a kind of reconciliation between their witchcraft discourse and their assumed rational discourse of the researcher as a way how to reconcile these two, at least at the beginning of the interview. But usually, I mean, th there was no problem really. The, the, it was quite the topic that cropped more or less by itself, you know, we did we didn't really ex expect it to 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 be there to find it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we already touched upon this, but perhaps again. So, um, how would you define witchcraft mm -hmm. in in this context? What what is it, and and what is a witch? Really? Yeah, well, as I said, basically, uh, the answer you would get from anthropological research would be a witch is a person who is considered to uh, be doing, to, to use some supernatural means to do harm to others, right? So, basically, the idea is that witchcraft is a social thing. The origin of witchcraft is social. If, if a misfortune befalls you, basically, there's a human being usually from the same community that was supposed to cause it, right? But in fact, in our region, um, I actually defined in my book various layers of witchcraft and various types of witches. And I think one should actually pay attention during the research to, to, to different types of witches, because if you don't, uh, the answers can can be a bit confusing. Um, well, basically, I would say you know, there is this social layer of witchcraft that anthropologists often research. Uh, but within it, one could actually distinguish between a neighborhood witch, or which I call a neighborhood witch, some would probably call it social witch, and the village witch that some researchers called um, scapegoat witch. Now, there is a difference between these two. While neighborhood witch was mostly blamed for the misfortunes that befell the neighbor, so you know, you assumed your neighbor uh, caused the misfortune that befell you by either, for instance, um, burying bones or eggs to your property or by uh, praising your child or your 
livestock, etc. There are various uh, um, modes of bewitching, really, and I can discuss that later, perhaps. But anyway, um, on the other hand, the village witch was not necessarily blamed for any misfortune, although some village witches, of course, uh, get a reputation based on the, the general consensus of their harmful activities, usually born out of envy, which is typical for the neighborhood witch. But there were also other reasons that has that have nothing to do with with this uh, accusation of causing misfortunes and are more or less more or less related to some stereotypical notions about a witch, like you know if she looked ugly. Uh, or bent, curved, you know, old, of course. Um, this already was a strong sign that she could be a witch. Or, moreover, if she behaved uh, quarrelsome, if she quarreled a lot, if she, if she was inquisitive, um, this was even more likely <laughs> to cause a reputation. Uh, if the family... Uh, in which, well, if her family was was uh, proclaimed to be um, kind of related to witchcraft, like for instance, if her mother already had such a reputation, the reputation was likely uh, passed over to her daughter because it was also generally believed that a mother uh, transmits her knowledge to to her daughter, or if if the father owned uh, a magic books. Or a, a magic book, uh, and it was usually men who were believed to have these books. His daughter would also um, kind of inherit such a reputation, and sometimes they would even even judge uh, upon who about who the village witch is according to to the way she died. So there was, a person could acquire a reputation even after her death, like if something unusual happened during the funeral <laughs> or something, she was likely, you know, recognized as, as a witch uh, afterwards. Or also any, any, any extra knowledge, you know, something that others would not know, but she allegedly knew um, immediately also could uh, uh, cause the reputation. So this was actually the social ra- layer of witchcraft. But there was another layer which I would tentatively call supernatural layer, that uh, anthropologists often skipped from their research. And it was also not always necessarily present in the the regions where the field was done. Um, Because these witches that I call night witches, because they usually appear at night, uh, often in the shape of some flickering lights, sometimes invisible, and usually causing people to lose their orientation, to, to get totally disoriented um, in, in, in the forest, to get lost. Uh, often the same deeds and the same shapes, the same appearance uh, refer to fairies or the souls of the dead or any other supernatural entities within the European folklore. Anyway, in our region, they were always called witches. And while they had no, they did, they did not do any economic damage, uh, they were still blamed for the misfortune, just of another type. They, they, they caused people to lose their way, you know, to spend the night in forest. And they were sometimes subsequently recognized as a certain person from the community. You know, not always, again, not always, but sometimes people would say, yes, I recognize those witches that looked like light, lights, it's, it's always plural, um, during the night. And then, you know, the next day they would scold her, her or even threaten them and similar. So there are differences, and there are differences in the discourses between uh, these social and supernatural layers. There are differences in the manner of protection, in the attitudes toward different witches, also the attitude toward the neighborhood witch and the village witch was different, right, Uh, etc. So many differences, and yet, you know, people would talk about witches in the same breath. If you ask them about witchcraft, they could either answer 
um, with the response that refer to neighborhood, village, or night witches. And, well, it seems pretty obvious also from, from general depictions of, of witches and also from what you're saying that the witches were often somehow considered to be women or it was to do with women. Yes, it Could was you? mostly women. Actually, in our region, it was mostly women except for, in well, in basically one category of village witch, you could also encounter men. As I said, those were the, those men basically that um, possessed or allegedly possessed, because I, I, one couldn't check, right, uh, the magic book. These were mostly men. And men could sometimes appear as witches also when they severely transgressed some social norms, like, you know, in, in case of blas blasphemy or yeah, cursing and drinking heavily. But this was really seldom. Mostly it was, it was women, yes. Could you think up any any reasons why it would be? Well, actually, this way? is this is quite historical. I mean, this has got some historical roots. Witches were always related to witch uh, to uh, women. Sorry, were always related to witchcraft. Baroja, uh, Spanish researcher, actually can says that this idea that witches are um, sorry, women are connected to uh, well, night and moon, but also to magic are the ideas that spread up already in antiquity. So this, this, there is a strong connection in these notions, in traditional ideas, I'd say. But also, you know, during the witch trials, several historians pointed out that um, women were often regarded as, as somehow more prone to be able to be seduced by a devil, you know, they were weaker and... Uh, well, actually, all these these accusations, in fact, somehow reflected the, the misogyny misogyny of of the of, of the period, right? Um, also, you know, women were um, often proclaimed witches when they were old already, when when they they were in the period of menopause, which was related to the idea about menstruation, you know that. Whether while they uh, until they still have their menstruation, they could take it kind of you know um, uh, purify themselves, and afterwards they could not do that anymore. So this 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 bad uh, uh, fluids you know just just prevailed in their bodies, and there are many reasons. And of course, uh, widows and unmarried women were were among you know the first targets of uh, accusations also. One thing, because their status were unclear, and in the early modern period, you know, the idea about a woman was to be married, to have a man by their side. It's this strong patriarchal uh, approach or uh, uh, look at at the, the the role of the woman in the society. Um, and but on the other hand, it was also their weaker position in this case, right? Mm. They had no social cure. They, they, they did not have a husband who would perhaps protect them in 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 this regard, you know, against the gossip, against the accusations. Yeah, exactly. So it was also these these witchcraft accusations could also act as a very powerful tool for for social control. Um, oh, definitely yes. Oh, yeah. yeah, and actually. The, the narratives themselves uh, acted as a way of social control. People tried to behave not the way that they could possibly be accused of witchcraft, right? Mm. Um, so, yes, definitely, this this was one way to look at. This is one way to look at witchcraft too. Yeah. Um, another uh, interesting category that you bring up in your work is the so-called unwitchers. Mm -hmm. So, could you? Tell us a little bit about them and how they belong into this dynamic of the witchcraft uh, discourse or accusations. Well, yes. Well, unwitchers, or some would probably call them counter-witches or unbewitcher, one also read, were an important figure in this triangle, a victim of witch and an unwitcher. Um, in our region, it was 
fortune tellers that act, actually acted as unreachers uh, in the sense that they could counteract the bewitchment, you know, and, and uh, act um, uh, in the direction to identify the witch responsible for misfortune. Uh, now, people would um, usually address unreachers in case that, you know, many misfortunes happened on very different areas of their life or, or household, etc. And unreachers would actually first, well, the first step in their procedure would usually be to, to proclaim the, the misfortune as a result of witchcraft. And in, in their further steps, they would usually try to annihilate the bewitchment by various instructions that they gave to their clients and uh, to identify the witch because you know the, the identification was crucial in this regard you know it, it allowed the client to face their opponents you know to materialize something that was abstract beforehand and um, in the end they also offered uh, a possibility of the redirection of this bewitchment or the evil back to its source, which of course people usually deny to, to accept. <laughs> yeah, well, but basically in my in my book, um, I argued that the main role of Anwicha was in helping, especially women, to um, well, in. In one thing was, you know, to to help them in in the times of economic insecurity when their house for their households uh, were not prospering. But the basic thing I think was to um, help women uh, maintain their social positions, their social social position in times it was endangered, because women were basically evaluated uh, according to their work, how they managed to to do the household works, were they successful in this regard, and if they were not, their social position was uh, strongly threatened. And in this case, they actually needed, I think, at least in our region, that that's the way how I understood the situation, they needed the unwitcher to help them uh, trans transpose um, Relocate the blame from themselves to to the outside uh, witch or to, to somebody else, um, and thus you know help them maintain their social position in a way because it was not them then that that were to be blamed for for the misfortunes that befell the household, but some outsider coming from the other house household coming from the, the usually the same community but still not not from within household so identifying some kind of enemy or or cause of trouble from the exactly. outside was very exactly. crucial yes exactly definitely. um we already mentioned that yeah there's if if for example the livestock or or some other in some other way the livelihood was endangered mm -hmm. this would be one one reason mm -hmm. to to suspect witchcraft um could you mention some other cases or situations where this witchcraft Discourse or the accusations of witchcraft even could be invoked. Mm -hmm. Well, the main targets, if I start with this part first, the main targets of bewitchment in our region were livestock, really. Yeah. You know, this is a different situation that, than, than the one I encountered in Bosnia, where I just recently did a three months fieldwork, when witchcraft is mostly directed against, um, people, against their well-being and health, and jobs, etc. Uh, in our region, it was really mostly livestock, uh, sometimes small children, but basically livestock that, that were the main target of bewitchment. But of course, there were other situations where people can use witchcraft discord, discourse to their benefit, and it was not necessarily related to their personal belief into the proposition. Um, many, many situations, many circumstances um, could in many circumstances, witchcraft discourse could be really used to uh, for people to save face, for instance, or to to uh, give 
an acceptable explanation to the family or to the community at large. And I can just give you some examples. For instance, um, when, for instance, a young man was unable to, 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 to work, to find a job, even to search for a job, a young man who actually withdrew himself from society and probably suffering some sort of a depression or perhaps some mental illness. Uh, the explanation by witchcraft, in terms of witchcraft, was actually a uh, suitable explanation at hand for a family to 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 give to the community at large, which probably not not understanding the depression as a serious mental state would proclaim him an idler, or perhaps even blame his family for a failed upbringing. And on the other hand, this helped the family to cope with the situation, you know, to understand, to, to, to accept their son's position. Um, also, for instance, when, uh, marital quarrels appeared, when a couple quarreled and, um, suddenly, one story told by, by a certain interlocutor, suddenly when a woman threw his uh, husband out of bed. She said, I, I, at that moment, I saw a toad under, under the bed, and I trampled her, I destroyed her, and the next day I saw a woman in the village, you know, who lost her leg just at the same time. And um, now this is how they recognized that it was that woman that was that transformed into the toad, and this was a general notion in our region that that witches can either transform into toads or send toads. Um, and actually, she recognized the witch that transformed into a toad by, by her losing a leg in, in the same moment. And thus, there are many such circumstances that actually allowed people to use the witchcraft discourse, especially when they transgressed mm -hmm. social norms, you know, uh, having spent a night in the forest after night drinking, uh, they could just say, well, witches, this is, this night witches carried me away, so I couldn't, you know, I couldn't find the way out of the forest. Or, you know, it, it could be a cover up for sexual relationships that were illicit. Or it could just reflect sexual fantasies sometimes. Oh, oh, I don't know. It could. It was also used as an education means in the upbringing of children, not to, you know, walk into dangerous areas at night, or to prevent people to do illicit things in the night, like meeting other others, men and wives. It could even be invoked by workers who wanted to stop work in the in during the night, you know, at 2 a.m., I guess everybody prepares to stop working already. And they could just, you know, invoke this idea about witches, no, I'm going to, to go home now because otherwise witches would come, etc. So, yes, I mean, this, there were many opportunities uh, for the uses of witchcraft discourse. And this was, this was not really related to, as I said, to one's belief or disbelief in the proposition. And they were not also used intentionally in order to manipulate the, you know, other people's opinion, but acted more like a spontaneous act based on the habitus, really. Of course, now, it could be used also to manipulate public opinion, especially if, if they gossip others, like, um, I was told that this witchcraft discourse was often, uh, witchcraft accusation uh, often occurred when a son of a wealthy family wanted to marry a woman from poor family, and in this case, the mother of that woman was often proclaimed to be a witch, you know, who made some witchcraft in order for the son of their wealthy family to fall in love with this poor girl, and so on, or in case of rivalry, of course, and um, accusation of witchcraft could also um, redefine, you know, social position, lower the social prestige of a certain person, and similar. Yeah, so it's, it's a very, very, various ways that you can, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely, you can use it. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
Uh, did you, uh, when you were conducting this work, so I understood that people talked about these experiences, but did you ever speak with a witch, anyone who would admit mm. using witchcraft or mm. or who knew at least that they were blamed of witchcraft? Well, How was uh, this? nobody would ever admit that they use okay. witchcraft. There is no such thing, you know. If they admitted that they used witchcraft, this was Im this would immediately ruin their social position probably forever, right? Yeah. Of course, you know, I could sometimes realize that some people did indeed practice some sort of magic practices. Like one thing that I mentioned before was burying objects, usually uh, eggs or bones, to neighbors' property, and while they would never admit that they buried a certain object to their neighbor's property first, they did sometimes admit that, that they buried it as a response for the buried object they found in their property, you know, and so they yeah. assumed that it came from a certain neighbor who, with who they were probably in some conflict or tense, tense relationships, and they just threw it back to their property or buried it back to their property. So obviously, you know, something was going on. But I, I only received several, several admission of this kind, uh, and never as, you know, being the first, the first perpetrator, but always as a response to the act that was done before. Anyway, I did also hear about several people, several women, um, that had a reputation of being a witch in the community. And I did interview them and I tried to make them tell me that they were aware of their reputation, but I was never successful. They, nobody actually ever admitted that they knew about their reputation. And I'm not really sure if they knew or not. Mm -hmm. um, I often got an impression that they didn't, but I do not dare to claim because, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing, I guess, to admit that people treat you as the witch, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, I heard also about uh, some circumstances in which people overtly told some women in the community that they were witch, like especially when they were drunk, you know, they would just say them to their face, you know, you're a witch or something. Otherwise, generally, they would try to avoid blaming directly because they if it was a village witch, they feared that they would, that she would revenge and do some witchcraft. Uh, and if it was a neighborhood witch, they always said, well, you never know. You, know, you can never be sure. You can suspect mm -hmm. this or that neighbor, but you can never be sure because you never actually saw them doing some bewitchment, doing some, you know, making some bewitchment. So yeah, they never really dared uh, blaming them overtly. Mm -hmm. It also brings to mind, perhaps if you would, especially with this neighbor neighborhood witch yeah. case, if you would blame directly, wouldn't that could it maybe take away from from the functioning of of the accusation dynamic? So, because if you blame directly, perhaps then that then it can be disputed more easily or refuted that this oh yes is not right. the case. It could change the dynamics of how how the accusations work. Yes, it could, yes, on yes. one way it could, but also, you know, it, you would be in the position of the accuser, and yes, if you did not get the, the public, um, um, how can I say, support in this case, right, you could end up as, perhaps not as a witch, but in fact you could end up with the, um, your social position, again, being lowered, because, you know, you did something that, you were not supposed to do, and if you did not have any proofs of yes. their bewitching activities, then see how could you do it? So yeah, yeah. and the uh, the evidence would be difficult to produce. Oh, so, definitely. Yes. So yes. that would be a high risk thing mm. to do. Yeah, uh, yeah. exactly. Um, so I understand that there are no unwitchers in the region anymore. So so. It was no, no. Simply in the stories about. Yeah, well, you see, the, there was a very famous unwitching family that provided services for people in this region, uh, and this family 
well, the, the, the starter of the family's business was a certain woman who was born at the beginning of the 19th century. And then uh, the profession was continued by her son. And after her son died uh, during the World War II, it was continued by his widow. And that last in line of this famous fortune, fortune tellers actually died at the beginning of 80s. Uh, I was lucky to find her uh, grandson who actually lived with her uh, when he was uh, a child and observed her working. Uh, but anyway, he told me that already in the 70s, she started losing her clients. That, uh, you know, but her, her job actually had no job anymore at the end of the 70s and at the beginning of 80s she died. So, no, basically there are no traditional unwitches in, in, in the region anymore. Uh, I, I know that there was another unwitcher who was practicing, uh, and actually off, offering similar, um, similar, um, how can I, how can I, similar services to, yeah. to the clients, uh, living quite nearby, but obviously she did not use the same discourse. She did not, you know, um, continue to work on, on counteracting witches. Instead, she used the term enemy, which is much more general idea. So I guess she, she was able to, to, to continue with this, with this uh, work. And she focused much more on fortune telling, telling in general, not on unreaching procedure as such. Yeah. But of course, nowadays people can just, you know, turn to new age therapists, mm -hmm. which are often, especially in bigger cities and urban you know, communities. So, and I, they actually do this nowadays. They go to, to new age therapists. Uh, I'm not sure about people from my region. I did not uh, ask them about that, but I actually recently uh, conducted an interview with a person, with a woman, uh, an educated woman, an intelligent woman living quite close to this region who actually experienced the same, the same type of bewitchment, obviously, as was generally proclaimed to be, yeah, well, the main, the main sort of bewitchment in our uh, region. That was, she was, she kept finding eggs buried in her property and she indeed uh, turned to a new age therapist in Ljubljana. This was a kind of a Taoistic therapist or dealing something with Taoistic crystal therapy and, you know, helped her clients with some angels blessing and, you know, did angel therapy, etc. So it was not a traditional unwitcher, but, but a new age therapist who in a way took over the work of traditional unwitchers. So was the procedure the like, same? Yeah, or? Oh, it was, in fact, it was very similar in many regards, but there were also differences in her discourse in relation to the unwitchers discourse. Well, you know, first he would admit just like traditional unwitchers that, uh, not admit, but she would conf confirm that it was, uh, you know, that something that something was done, which was a typical, you know, way of discourse, uh, typical discursive expression in the region relate, that related to, um, bewitchment, really. I mean, some, that somebody bewitched you in a way. Although she definitely denied the involvement of witchcraft. So she said, there is no such thing as witchcraft. Anyway, she admitted, she, she confirmed that it was, that this was done. By a certain person who who wishes bad to this woman that I made an interview with, and she also tried to uh, annihilate the bewitchment. Now it should be <laughs> the bewitchment in inverted commas, right? Uh, she she gave her some angels' blessings in order to to annihilate the harm that was being done. But the basic difference was that instead of trying to help the client identify their witch, which was, which was really a crucial thing in the, the traditional therapist, uh, traditional unwitches procedure. She actually 
redirected the blame from the outside which to one's own body and mind. So actually she said, you have, you, we should not condemn anyone, you know, it, it doesn't matter. There are people, you know, she vaguely admitted there are people who wishes, who wish us bad, who, who are envious, etc. But basically she redirected the blame to ourselves. So it is us who have to actually, it, is, it was that woman that I talked yes. to actually. So it is, I can say generally us, we have to, Purify ourselves. We have to meditate. We have we have to strengthen our energy, etc. And when we do that, no one could blame us anymore. So there's this basic difference, I think, that you know, from from finding and searching for the perpetrator on the outside and finding the witch in our side, in, inside, within us, right? That change. The change in the in in this um, uh, new age uh, discourse, and of course, I think this got a lot to do with the changes also that happened in the Western neoliberal society, where we are actually encouraged to think of our own lives, our own health, uh, our own well-being as something that are entirely under our own control, right? It's it's ourselves who are responsible for, for this. And it's it's entirely in our hands. We have to look at our own lives as a way as an artistic product or an enterprise, right? So and we we cannot actually obtain relief anymore by blaming someone on the outside for our misfailures. Instead we we, we have Kind of, we became trained to search for the, for the one who is to blame for any misfortune that befell us in ourselves. Yeah, that's, so that, that, there would be this kind of, on one hand, it, it continues, but it changes shape and, yes, and changes also. It adapts to, adapts the, to, to the, the demands of the new, this new, neoliberal capitalistic society that we live in nowadays, right? Yeah, exactly. Basically, it's the same thing. I mean, you can still call, you can call it witchcraft or you cannot call it witchcraft, basically. You know, it's just yeah. the transformation, it's adaptation. <laughs> but it's basically, it is a continuation too. Yeah. Thank you. This has been very interesting. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Okay. Thank you so much for that, Hannah. It was wonderful to hear your voice again and great to have such a fascinating interview covering both a subject area and a geographical region that have been somewhat neglected on the RSP. Although folk would be directed towards our interview with, uh, I think it was Philip Armand, that, and I also think it was Jack Sonnet uh, recorded um, a good while back for us um, on witchcraft in, um, I think it was early, early medieval England or something. Yeah. Indeed. I'd have to dig back into the archives myself, but search for Philip Ammon and you'll get a fantastic listen there. And there's also our various interviews on, on uh, you know, uh, vernacular religion and mm. these kind of uh, things. Exactly. A thanks also to the BASR, NAASR and IHR for their fantastic ongoing sponsorship. Now, um, attentive... Um, subscribers to the RSP may have noticed over the past uh, few weeks and months that uh, when you go back into a page on the website uh, with a podcast, there's some additional material there. Yes, we have finally uh, managed to get transcriptions in place, um, something we've done on an ad hoc basis in the past, but uh, thanks to the amazing work of Helen Bradstock, we now have a transcription every single week, and we are endeavouring to have that transcription up with the episode for you on a Monday. And this is a very important thing for us, not only because it helps people search the material, 
and makes it easier to reference and to cite, but also for teaching purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I discovered when using podcasts in teaching is that uh, people would often spell the names wrong in the books and things because they were just hearing it. Having it written down um, makes you know solves that problem, but also for you know people who have difficulty with the accents or for mm-hmm. whom listening to podcasts isn't really an option mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Yeah, and so it's it's opening up um, the RSP a bit more. If if your first language isn't English, it could be much easier to deal with the transcription. And indeed, um, you can use wonderful Google Translate and things on it, which you know isn't fantastic, but it's one broader step in our in our march forward to to world domination and world accessibility uh, for religious studies. So thanks to Helen for that. And uh, as we say. Um, this week, this week is probably going to be the first one where it's going to be going out with the podcast. Is that correct? No, it was last week was last the first week. one. Yeah, uh, the James Capello one uh, hmm. from last week had the had the transcription with it yeah. right there. If you um, find these transcriptions useful, um, do consider either volunteering to do a transcription yourself. A couple of hours' work could be. Uh, you know, a permanent uh, contribution to the study of religion and helping out other people such as yourself. Um, Or consider uh, contributing to our Patreon uh, page, which is patreon.com backslash project RS. If you want to donate a couple of quid, anything that you want to to, um, to contribute there will help us out enormously and help pay for this, uh, these transcriptions going forward. And of course, you can also um, use our other means of supporting us, which are our Amazon links, amazon.com.co.uk and .ca. If you use those websites at all to buy anything, um, if you click through from the links on our website, we'll get a percentage of the sale. Um, Of course, I've got to remind you, Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, Google+, YouTube, and the YouTube links are now being embedded in the pages on the website as well. But another thing to remind you about is to come back next week for a, a videoed roundtable conversation uh, facilitated by my colleague here, David Robertson, um, on millennialism and violence with Eileen Barker, Mujan Momen, Joseph Webster, and Tristan Sturm. I'm looking forward to that. Indeed, the first uh, episode that we recorded at the recent SENSAM uh, conference on uh, millennialism and violence. So come back for that next week. But until then, thanks for listening. (laughs) 